0: That's good news, yes. And we want, here at Fraser, we want as many people as possible for that to be their testimony. We've been set free, and then we carry this message of freedom to other people. In 1514, there was a man by the name of John Knox, and he lived in Scotland. And I'll never forget, one of his short, famous prayers were... God, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. Now, that's a bold prayer. Bold prayer. You know, whenever you're one versus a nation, you're always in the minority. Did you know that? But it was a a prayer that was grounded in the belief that God could actually send revival to Scotland. And so my prayer is that we would pray bold prayers like that. We'd say, God, give us Montgomery or we die. Give us the river region or we die. Give us the nations or we die. Because that's why he's put us here. He blessed us to be a blessing. He set us free so that we can carry this message of freedom to other people. May we not keep it for ourselves, Amen? amen? Not just for us. And so, Lord, would you give us? this ground that we worship on right now and all around it as far as you would lord i pray that your name would be made great in this land lord we pray for an awakening we've seen it before you've done it before you've moved before would you do it again would you do it again and would you do it right here just as Jared said would you start with us Lord what you're stirring in this place is something amazing may we seize this moment not waste this opportunity to be your people both here and beyond and today would you start something in Fraser? Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Today we start 50 days of mission. I hope that you received your packet in the mail. If you did not, you can pick one up at the connection desk. Also, if you've moved recently and you're a member, it would be very helpful if you would let us know. If you would check with the church office, just call the church office and verify your address. But in that packet, there was a daily devotional guide being written by our mission partners of the Part 1 and Part 2. There's also a weekly prayer guide. And also a commitment card that we'll be working through as we go throughout these 50 days. I'm so thankful for our partners all around the world. We're actually partnering with International Leadership Institute on the content for this series and our workshops. We'll be having workshops this Wednesday night. I'll be leading one on our topic this morning over in Wesley Hall, so please come out and be a part of that. Also, one of the things that we're doing throughout this school year is we're shifting. We've normally been praying for a local church every Sunday morning, and what we're going to do is we're going to pray for the next many weeks for a mission partner, and so I want us to do that this morning. And this morning, I want us to pray for Hope Inspired Ministries. Their executive director is John Bowman, a wonderful, wonderful man. I've been able to meet him on several occasions, and we've supported them since 2013, and they have a nine-week Uh, uh, a nine-week workforce development program that is helping and being a blessing to so many people in fact this year alone they've had 81 graduates in 2020 that is awesome yeah yeah and these are people that are just being the hands and feet of Jesus and so one more time let's lift them up and then we'll get started father thank you for hope inspired ministries we pray your blessings on them I pray your blessings on their executive director, John, and all those who volunteer and give of their time to pour into other people, that they may have the skills they need uh, to work jobs and have a flourishing life. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to breathe life into what they're doing. We're so thankful for them. Lord, would you bless them? In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think about for a moment the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. It's beautiful. One of the most beautiful places on the planet, actually. And if you pan out and you look at the Great Barrier Reef, it's beautiful in and of itself. It's big, it's vast, it's blue, right? It's beautiful, beautiful. But it's only when you plunge into the water, when you go into the depths, that you see the life that is there and all of the color that is there and all of the many things that God has created and the same is true with God in many ways you know we can have a really big picture view of God we can step back and say God is amazing God is huge God is awesome and all those words that we can use to describe God but whenever we get close to God when we really plunge in and go deep that's when we discover so much more and if we're gonna live on mission for God living on mission first starts with our relationship with God and growing in intimacy with God. In fact, throughout Scripture, we see a few different images or metaphors for this. I want to give you three. The first one that I want to give you is that of best friends. One of the ways that God has communicated to us of how he wants our relationship to be close is for us to be like best friends who come together and talk face-to-face. We see this in the story of Moses in Exodus 33. It says, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of uh, cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. And while Moses spoke, or while the Lord spoke with Moses, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, face to face, as one speaks to a friend. This image of best friends speaking, uh, this speaks to intentionality in relationships. I mean, we're not just best friends with every acquaintance that we make, are we? We're not. But when it comes to God, he invites us into a relationship that takes intentionality on our part. And that intentionality is spurred on because we are interested. We really want to know who this God is. We really want to know what this God thinks about and what it is he's doing on the planet And what it is he's doing in our lives And when we're interested in what God is doing It leads us to be intentional And that intentionality uh, leads to growth and maturity In our relationship And so the first image that we're giving here, given here is, is one of like being best friends there's, there's others The second image is that of a parent and child It was Jesus who referred to God As his father Or in Aramaic as his Abba now, this is startling language. This is very intimate language that he used here. And matter of fact, it probably would have sent shock waves through the first hearers who listened to Jesus pray, and Jesus called God Abba. Such intimate, close language that he was using. In John's Gospel, the very last prayer that Jesus prayed in John's Gospel is called the high priestly prayer of John 17. And in John 17, Jesus prayed that we would have this same kind of relationship with the Father as he had. We see in John 17, 20 and 21, Jesus prays. He says, my prayer is not just for them alone, meaning the disciples who are in front of him at that moment. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. That's me. We are the ones who have believed in this Jesus because their message has been passed down from generation to generation right down to us. And he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, Jesus, they're praying for us, that all of them may be one father. One, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Notice notice the connection between intimacy with the Father. There has to be a relationship there. But intimacy with the Father so that the world will know who Jesus is. Those two always go together. And so we see the first image of like best friends. The second image here of, of a parent and child, we are to call God father, call him Abba. The third image that we see is that of marriage or a marital relationship. The prophet Jeremiah was God's instrument to speak and proclaim God's message to his people. And he prophesied often about idolatry. And he he challenged the people to really follow God faithfully. And through Jeremiah, God spoke the words in Jeremiah 24. He says, one day, the day is coming, I will give them a heart to know me. That word know is very important. I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. Now, right here, when he uses the word know, I'm going to give them a heart to know me. The word know there that has a much deeper meaning than what's conveyed in English. So many times when we think about knowing something or knowing God, it's just head knowledge about who God is. We know about. God, but that word there is actually used throughout the Old Testament to describe the relationship between a husband and a wife. That there is a deep knowing that is there that you and I can have when it comes to God. Again, so many times we think that God is so distant, He's so far off. It's like looking at the barrier reef from an airplane or a helicopter, but He invites us to jump in. He wants to be best friends, He wants to be our Father and us, His sons and daughters. He wants us to be in a covenant relationship, just like marriage, where we know and we grow closer. And we get these different images throughout Scripture because they all speak to all of us, no matter where we are in life. Some of us understand best friends. Some of us understand parent-child relationships. Some of us understand marriage relationships a little better. And so we get, a, we get multiple images because God is conveying the same truth. And that there is a, it is that there is a closeness That you can have with God There is a closeness There is an intimacy that you can have With the creator of the universe Now, while we're invited into this relationship This close-knit relationship There are also some barriers to intimacy And there are four common barriers That we all struggle with And we have to grapple with every day The first one The first barrier that we have to overcome Is that of superficiality just having a superficial relationship with God. It was Richard Foster who said, quote, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant uh, satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a great number of intelligent people or gifted people. No, 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 that's what we want. He says the desperate need today is not for a great number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep People people who have a deep Relationship with God Jesus speaks to superficiality When he's given the parable of the sower In Matthew chapter 13 He says that some seed fell on rocky places Where it did not have much soul They're shallow It sprang up quickly Now we like that We like quick growth We like quick success We, we like those things But notice it sprang up quickly Because the soul was shallow But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. That describes our culture in so many ways. We want achievement. We want accomplishment. We want success, and we want it as quickly as possible when God is far less concerned about what you do, and he's more concerned about who you are. And to see who you really are, he looks at the roots, not just what's springing up fast. And to combat this idea of superficiality, having a superficial relationship with God, God's answer to that is for us to go deep. We have to be willing to go deep. And listen, there is no shortcut to having a deep relationship with God. It takes three things. It takes three things. It takes authenticity, it takes vulnerability, and it takes trust. You have to be willing to be authentic before God. You have to be willing to be authentic before God because only then will you truly be vulnerable in his presence. Only then. Only then will you be willing to lay out everything before him and not hold it back and try to play cosmic hide and seek from the God who knows everything, which is what we do, right? But when we're authentic before God, seeking an authentic relationship with Him, and we're able to be vulnerable before Him. That's where trust builds over time, and we find ourselves going deeper and deeper, and God revealing more and more to us as we continue that journey. It's Romans 11, verse 33, that says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and His paths are beyond tracing. He is so vast, He knows so much and he's inviting us to come in and have an intimate relationship where he shares life with us and we have to ask ourselves the question am i settling for just enough religion to make me feel good about myself hmm. or or am i going deep and diving into an intimate relationship with god that is beyond the surface We're invited into a relationship with the one who created everything out of nothing, and yet we settle with some kind of therapeutic feeling on Sunday mornings. And he's saying there's so much more. The first barrier is superficiality. The second barrier is that we fail to prioritize. We fail to prioritize our relationship with God. Our days are marked by the demands of pressing schedules and pressured commitments. We often feel as though... We must always be on or be performing or delivering or maximizing productivity and we're just a slave to the urgent with this feeling of being strung out, impatient, occasionally resentful, and even worse, completely empty on the inside. Ever been there? We all have. We all have. And yet Jesus looks at us and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and... Do not do what I tell you to do. Do not do what I say. He said, yeah, you're happy to call me Lord, but why why don't you actually follow? God's answer to our failure to prioritize him as a part of our life is that we have to develop a thirst for God. God. We have the power to determine what we do with our time. And only the fear of failure or of disappointing someone else keeps us from saying no to all the demands that come our way and saying yes to God. And intimacy with God is as important as the air you breathe and the water you drink to survive. This is how the psalmist put it in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Notice that. When can I go and meet with God? See, we pray this kind of prayer. Normally, whenever we're aware that we need God, we want something from God. And so, you know, we're, we're desperate in that moment. We really want God in our life. But we should also pray this kind of prayer whenever we find ourselves running from God. Because it's in those moments that we're looking for something that only God can give. Only God can give. And that should be a clue to us that we need to turn and say, Whoa, I'm looking out here for something to satisfy me when only God can do that. And notice he says, ask the question, when can I go meet with God? You know, I grew up in a day when Wednesday and Sunday were sacred days. Anybody else? I mean, you, you, didn't, you didn't practice ball on Wednesday and Sundays, right? That is not true anymore. And down here in the South, we no longer can rely on our culture to define sacred for us. Sorry. Sorry. Which means we have to make it a priority. We have to define what is sacred time whenever we spend time with God and with God's people because our culture is definitely not going to define it for us. And now we have to grapple with that and ask ourselves, are we really making God a priority in our lives? Number three. The third barrier to intimacy is that we focus on information instead of intimacy. You can actually know a great deal about God with actually not know him at all. You can know a great deal about God and actually not know him at all. Paul said this was going to be the case. This was the case in the first century. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, listen, there are people who are always learning, but they're never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They're never able to get to that place where they understand who God really is, but they know him, a knowledge of the truth, not just a head knowledge, a deep seated knowledge of a lived truth that can be lived out. And so many times we just want to fill our brains with knowledge about God instead of getting to actually know God. And God's answer to this, you're you're probably not going to like this one, but God's answer to this is to practice spiritual disciplines. Yes, I know we don't like the word discipline in our culture. It's okay. Hang on, you'll get over it. The word discipline is actually very important. The practice of spiritual disciplines bring us closer to God because we actually focus on God instead of just information. Spiritual disciplines create a rhythm for us in life, a rhythm where we engage God on a regular basis. And many times in the modern church, and by modern church I mean you, in the modern church, and me, it's okay, I'm a part of this too, But in the modern church, what we've done is we've reacted in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and all the way up to today to anything that feels religious, right? We've had this reactionary theology and reactionary practice to it, actually. And what we've done is we've actually thrown the baby out with the bathwater. So we've lost our discipline as Christians. Instead, we're driven by emotions. If I like it, I'll do it, right? Right? Or I'll sing it if I like it, if it makes me feel good. Right? And so now we're driven by our emotions instead of discipline, and all the while we have the Apostle Paul looking at us saying, I beat my body into submission. And many times you just look up and it feels like we have a whole generation of us, this is us, who are just running off our feelings. You have one group in the church just wanting the next new thing. You have one group in the church who's wanting to live in nostalgia land, and all the while, we're neglecting the presence of God that's here now. One that we can engage in when we push ourselves, when we discipline ourselves to say, no, I'm going to pray even though I don't feel like it. No, I'm going to sing even though I don't feel like it and sound bad. You know, no, I'm going to go to Bible study and open it up and dialogue with other people even though one of them gets on my nerves. We just run from things these days instead of engaging in spiritual disciplines. And that's God's answer it's God's answer for us to override this information age and really get to know God. Number four is unconfessed sin, if you weren't uncomfortable enough. The fourth barrier is unconfessed sin, and unconfessed sin can keep us at arms distance from God our cherished but harmful habits unsurrendered thoughts or feelings and frankly our distorting power of guilt and shame can keep us in a place of spiritual isolation Isaiah tells us about this place in Isaiah 59 when he says surely The arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but something has happened. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And you say, how is it possible for God not to hear? What he's saying is that God is not going to honor the request. And so many times we let sin build up in our life in this distance is created and created and created and all the while God is calling out saying you don't have to live that way you don't have to do that God's answer to unconfessed sin is to confess and repent those words are different confess means to call it what God calls it if God calls it sin I call it sin repent means I turn from it And confession of our sins brings uh, confessions of our sin to God brings them into the light exposes them because we're being vulnerable with him and opens us up to receive his forgiveness and then be restored back into an intimate relationship and the promise of first john 1 9 is that if you confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you purify you from all unrighteousness he does that every single time he just invites us to come and be open and honest with him about that there's a lot of people who, who they're struggling with the concept of God, so they think. When they're really not struggling with God at all, what they're doing is they're holding on to the sin that they know they should let go of, but they really want to just keep hanging on. And the gospel message is that you don't have to hang on to it. The gospel message is there's so much more for you that you can have in your relationship with God, and you can let go of it. And every one of us, we have to wrestle, we have to grapple with these barriers that come up. This temptation to just be superficial, to get just enough religion so that we get our medicine for the week and we go out into another week. Or this failure to prioritize, where we put everything else on our calendar except God. When was the last time you scheduled a meeting with God? Or this focus on information instead of intimacy that's playing out in our culture in so many ways through technology, and then simply confessing our sin and repenting. Now, while there's barriers to this relationship with God, there are also benefits. The great theologian J.I. Packard wrote the book Knowing God. I highly recommend it. So like over a million copies or whatever. He was an Anglican theologian from Canada, and he said there's some positive benefits to have an intimate relationship with God. He gives four. Number one is that the benefit, first benefit is those who know God, like actually know God, they have great thoughts about God. They have great thoughts about God. How you think about God begins to shift and change. Just like when you get to know another person. It's like, you know, wow, I really didn't know that you were interested in that. You like that. All of a sudden, how you think about that person begins to be shaped. Number two, those who know God have great energy for God, meaning what you do is now motivated by, by God. And all of a sudden, you find yourselves doing things, serving in different ways, and all of that is motivated because you're getting to know this God who not only loves you, but he wants to love other people through you. Number three, the third benefit is that those who know God show great boldness for God. We live in a world that, where boldness is kind of a thing where people say, you know, you don't want to risk anything, you know, be, be safe, be safe. If you go throughout the book of Acts, which we're going to do uh, in January and February, If you look in the book of Acts, you see the church taking risk for God every step of the way and being led by the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit breaking out in powerful ways and people actually coming to know Christ. And we're called to take those risks as well. Number four, those who know God have great contentment in God. That there's a place of rest, there's a place of peace that we can actually live in. Whenever we truly know God Now these four things How we think, what we do, what we risk And our rest Satan's four strategies Against your life are found in those four things Satan does not want you to think Positive things about God Satan does not want you to do Positive things that build the kingdom of God Satan does not want you to risk anything He wants you to live scared the rest of your life And Satan certainly does not want you to find contentment, to find rest and peace in God. He wants to keep you perpetually going on the inside so that you feed into this culture of constantly wanting and needing more and more and more and more. And Paul is the one who says in Philippians 4, he said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And at the same time, right after that, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned to be content and I can do all things through Christ. And for us to live in this relationship, for us to live in an intimate relationship with God, it takes two things. Number one, it's a choice. It's a choice. And then number two, it's a commitment to make that choice over and over again. It's a choice. And then it's a commitment to continue to make that choice. You say, what choice am I talking about? Psalm 27, verse 8. Psalm 27, verse 8 says, My heart says of you, meaning God, my heart says of you, seek his face. I notice the the psalmist is having a conversation with himself. You ever talk to yourself? Good, I'm not the only one. All right. So he, he says, My heart says of you, God, seek his face. And so there, the psalmist has a choice. What do I do about that? The psalmist says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. That's his choice. That's his commitment. There's something deep on the inside of me he's saying, and this is probably where you are right now. There's something deep on the inside of me right now that says, I need to seek the face of God. I need to have that face-to-face relationship like friends have, just like God, just like Moses. There's something in there prompting me to do that, nudging me to do that. The question is, what choice will you make? And then what commitment will you continue to make? Your face, Lord. I will seek, he says. The question is, will you? And the question is, will I? There's a man by the name of John Wesley who lives... Before me. And he wrote a prayer. Called the Wesleyan. It's a covenant prayer. And the prayer goes like this. He says I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whomever you choose. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me work for you or be laid aside by you. Raise me up or bring me low. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your pleasure and disposal, and now, O gracious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. And this covenant which I have made on earth, let it be confirmed in heaven. Amen. That, my friends, is a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer of ultimate surrender. What I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to stand up. Go ahead. And if you dare, I invite you to fill your lungs with air and your hearts with hope. And let's say this one more time. Can you put it back on the screen? Let's say it together. would you pray with me i am no longer my own but yours put me to what you will place me with whomever you choose put me to doing put me to suffering let me work for you or be laid aside by you raise me up or bring me low let me be full let me be empty let me have all things Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O gracious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. And this covenant which we have made on earth, let it be confirmed in heaven. Amen.
1: Come like a fire Let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing, let's sing it together. Then me be full, then me be empty, then me have all things, then me have nothing.